used to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mild Mannered Army podcast with me, Mild Man and Max. And I know you all know that's not my real name by now, but I don't know, for some reason I like it. Anyway, it's very lovely for you to have me or alternatively, it might be lovely for me to have you. Thank you. So today I'm going to be joined by James and Jude Cook, authors, writers and for a while the latest possible hotshot Britpop poet laureates. James, of course, recently published a memoir, Memory Songs, a personal journey through the music that shaped the 90s, and Jude has one novel by Ron Easy already on the shelves, and a second, Jacob's Advice, is imminent. So welcome, James. Hi, Paul. And welcome, Jude. Hello, Paul. Yes, very nice to have you both with me today. I'm very, very excited to talk. Well, really, uh, I'm being selfish, right? I have this notion in my head that I would like to write a book and I thought well maybe what I should do is speak to two people who have written books so I wanted to talk to you about books and writing and maybe along the way there'll be a bit of music in there as well um, but how does that sound? Sure sounds great. Sounds great. Okay well just before I, I called you actually I was watching an interview with Terry Hall uh, he was being interviewed by Richard Herring on his podcast, and he said something really interesting, which I think maybe will kick us off a little bit. Um, he said that for him, it's never been about selling records. It's about the voice, to be able to express how you feel, and maybe some people will listen, or maybe they won't. And the reason I thought that was interesting was, one of the few questions that I've pre-prepared was, I had this idea about asking you both about the fact that you obviously were musicians, songwriters back in the 90s and at some point a decision was made to stop that and to move towards a new life, a different life as writers and I was interested about two things there I guess then. So first of all, how much do you empathise with what Terry is saying? It's not really about shifting units or any of the other gubbins that comes with a creative life it's about the voice and secondly what was it that prompted you to start the journey towards lives as writers shall i go first yeah you go first yeah <laughs> you might have to us by jude or james just to, to to clear up the confusion but yeah um i i think to answer i mean the terry hall quote is is great and it's all about connecting i think all art has to do that and your piece about Disappointed, our song Disappointed, that you posted the other day was fantastic because there there, there were you in Paisley in Scotland, um, age 21, and we were like 25 in London. And we write this song that connected with you. <clears throat> we don't didn't know you, um, but we kind of hoped writing this song in a bed, bedsit in Camden <laughs> that it would connect with someone you know, uh, of like mind somewhere else. So that's, you know, artists have done its job in that sense, if, if a voice in the darkness can connect with another voice. Um, but to, to answer the second question about why we sort of, you know, the band ended, I suppose. I mean, in, in many ways, those decisions are sort of made made for you in the, you know, scenes move on, people move on, personnel of bands change. Um, and, you know, it, it becomes very hard to keep going uh not not because you're not writing songs but because you know uh the business has to sort of invest in you and to <clears throat> want another album we had a second album 
offered to us uh, with flamingos by our old record company but we weren't happy with them you know um and then we had managing problems and all da da all that sort of quite boring stuff um so so in 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 the end you know the decision was made to to let's keep writing music but at the same time i know james as well as as as, as me had always written fiction you know my i wrote my first novel at 13 <laughs> before i wrote a uh, a, a song so you know writing fiction was always in sort of parallel to to writing songs and music well that's really interesting that that idea that yeah well let's let's turn to james for a second then before i pick up on that jude what about you james what was the thing that prompted you to begin that move towards a different form of creativity i think the, the, the voice thing is very interesting that that that's all tied in with it um because you know you, you in all writing you you hear about the voice and and everything's everything every piece you know every time you write an email it's done in a voice it's it's how you want people to see you um so there's that but also i think specifically with the music thing uh you know we knew we could write songs but maybe if one of us had had you know <laughs> A Rod Stewart world conquering voice, maybe we, we would have carried. I mean, there's an awful Tony Blair quote, isn't there, where he says, "You know, if I could sing like Paul Rogers for, from free, I would have carried. I would, I would have carried on in bands." You know. Oh no. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a similar thing. I mean, when when we were when we were doing the band um, Flamingos, our, our engineer said to us at one point, you know what, what would be really great standing in front of you two guys in the middle is a sort of Brett Anderson guy. You know, and I thought about it for a while. I thought apart from being sort of slightly aggrieved, it just would never work because we because the songs we wrote individually, me and you, were, were too were too personal. They were too you couldn't get someone to sing your your pain you know as it were uh you know it was just was never going to work so so there was that sort of schism going on and i think with with writing with any type of writing uh you've got a chance to it's not what what you know yeah you've got your you know allotted amount of talent that god has given you but i think you can control it a lot more on the page it's not just how i mean you go back to rod stewart there is some kind of you know something some something with his larynx you know that was just a one-off that that you know and apart from all the sort of performance stuff he had but that, that made him uh rod stewart so so i think with, with writing it was you know you, it was a lot more controllable and also you know we were we weren't that young anymore and you're getting on in years and um you know it was maybe time to uh, sort of go back to as, as as jude mentioned um we both wrote novels as part of an English project, we had a very inspirational English teacher, Mr. Wood, who appears in Memory Songs, and he got the class interested in writing fiction and, and tasked us to write a novel. So we had this, you know, this this all came before songwriting. Um, Plus, you don't have to book a rehearsal room to write a novel, you know. I mean, you don't need a drummer. <laughs> you don't need <laughs> against drummers. Just want to make that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, yeah. I I think for me, as somebody who is is not a, a a writer, not not in any sort of meaningful sense, that idea of the voice is it's both interesting, but it's also quite uh, frightening and, and intimidating. And so, 
I think maybe what I'm interested in there is so about maybe 18 months ago, maybe two years ago now, I, I had a friend who was doing something for NME just as they kind of finished off the print thing and were moving solely to, to digital. And he had said, well, look, why, why don't I ask one of the editors at the NME to take a look at what you've done? I said, well, that would be great. You know, feedback would be fantastic. And you know, I don't particularly believe in the idea of offence. You know, I think that's kind of a choice that you make. So don't worry about, you know, saying this is rubbish. You know, just tell him please to be honest. And one of the things he said in, in his feedback to me was that he felt like I had some semblance of a voice there, but that in a thousand articles time, that voice would become clearer. And I, I remember almost weeping at the idea that I was going to have to write a thousand articles before, you know, I would have a firmer handle on what my voice was. So I wonder about the voice that you have as writers. Maybe I'll come to you first, James. How long did it take you or what was the process by which you find that voice? OK, so so with 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 um a book like Memory Songs, which is narrative nonfiction, the, the voice, the voice is everything. Uh, and it's it's so hard with, with narrative nonfiction because you don't have a character to hide behind. It's I, hmm. it's I speaking. And if you put a foot wrong in the first couple of pages, you know, you're trying to, to, to build this sort of covenant or this this sort of contract of trust between you and the reader. Uh because you're doing the hardest thing you're trying to i think it was joan didion said you know you're trying to it's almost like you're trying to describe a dream you had last night you can see people's eyes misting over you know so you've got to really uh and i think this is why so many non-narrative non-fiction writers um use a lot of self-deprecation which is you know you need that in there you know there can be no sense of snootiness snootiness is death to the to the essay, uh, um, I can't remember who said that now, but Foster Wallace, I think. And uh, so you have to get that balance right. But if you go too far to the other side, to the other on the other side, you get what Will Self calls little me writing, um, <laughs> which is always, you know, going for the, putting yourself down. We've all read those books with this sort of rictus smile, you know, that it's just you constantly saying how. You know, you're trying to get it. it you, you, it's an act of persuasion. You're trying to get people to like you. And that can go. That can also backfire. So it's hard. It's really hard, you know, to, to, to get that. Yeah. I mean, because you're trying to write like Phil, you are writing fiction. I think it's it's um, I mean, it's just as hard with, with fiction. But from what I've read of your articles, you know, you've already got this voice on the page. So your um, your bit of advice about writing a thousand, I think, was. Maybe done a thousand surely by now. Yeah, you probably have <laughs> two thousand. But but um, I I think you know the the best book on creative writing or writing I think is a series of essays by Hanif Qureshi called Dreaming and Scheming, and the first and last essays in that book are so good. Um, and I I'm teaching creative writing at Westminster University at the moment, and I bring this book in and say just read these essays because they will do away with all the sort of stuff all the you know stuff about plot etc that i mean the whole vocabulary of, of creative writing has has been stolen from from screenwriting manuals you know with character yeah. arcs and all this sort of stuff but really what Qureshi comments of you know his big thing is have you got something to say 
you know, and you've got to start with that. There has to be a necessity to to writing. Um, and in terms of voice, most people already have a voice. You know, they do a lot of writing and discover that it was already there in the first place. You know, they just have to be themselves on the page and not try and write like Hemingway or try and write like, you know, their favourites. So I think, you know, to, to, to read a lot of books about writing is good if you're starting off and obviously to read as much fiction as possible. I think with, um, with, with fiction, you know, you've only got two, two modes really. You've got first person and third person. And the first person is obviously, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, the cat, this character is the author in disguise. Um, and with third person, it's often, well, you know, this is somebody uh, who, who, who is sort of bringing in, you know, trying to represent sort of a world that they know they know about. Um, so you've got to decide very early on when you're writing fiction, am I going to write in a first person or third person? And which is which can I handle best? You know, that idea of reading as much fiction as you can. So here's here's a question about that. I wonder about how difficult it is then to maintain your own voice if you're listening to other voices does that make sense do you, do you see what i'm driving at that yep. is is there ever a danger that you can start trying to ape hemingway or dickens or salinger or whoever it might be that that, that floats a your particular boat absolutely and i think you've got to got to work through that and i can't remember who wrote That's a book called, doing those pastiches you know yeah but there's a there's a book called The Anxiety of Influence. <laughs> ah. Yeah, uh, it's either a book or a theory, but it's very good in saying that all writers, when they start off, have to work through all these different, uh, you know, influences. And there's a that all these famous writers that you love, they exert this anxiety on you. And once you work through that, you can kill the father, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. You know, you can then and then claim your own voice, but. I'm, I sort of agree with Qureshi, Hanif Qureshi more. He said that your your own voice is, is intrinsic. It's always sort of there, you know. Um, and I think it depends on the kind of writer or songwriter you are. A lot of songwriters say they can't listen to other music when they're writing because they'll just start writing a song that sounds like, you know, the Rolling Stones or something, you know. So, uh, you know, if you are influenceable like that, then you've got to be careful. But if you're not, I mean, I'm the other, opposite of that. You know, I like to read as many different voices as possible. Um, and I, I'm not worried about necessarily being, being influenced. Well, I try very hard not to read, for example, other music sites or film mm. sites just now, um, because I don't I think there's two reasons for that. One is I don't want to then start mimicking somebody else. So I don't want to... Uh, mm you know go go to james's site james is writing music reviews as well i go to james's site and i think oh god he's great he's really great i want to write like that and then start mimicking that in some way and also the other thing is i don't want to say things that other people are saying and maybe a third thing is i don't want anybody to be able to say honestly about me you're copying x so i think for me starting that process of of try to put together something longer something with a narrative structure something with character something with a voice is it's possibly the most daunting aspect of it because I, I i don't want it to be anything other than 
mind. Does that mm. make sense? I don't think you, you, you need to worry too much about that because, as, as Jude said, you know, the voice your voice is intrinsic, and no matter what sort of uh, disguises you try on, I mean, you just maybe think of. Um, John Lennon in, in his Bob Dylan phase, you know, when when the, his Dylan's phrasing starts to creep into Lennon's. But Lennon was such a strong, had such a strong voice of his own that it never threatened to to capsize it, you know. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry too too much about that. I mean, I know I know what you're saying because you're already on a public forum and you know you don't you don't necessarily want to look back and oh that was that was the year I was in trouble too you know but i don't think that would spoil it either you know i think those are all those are all quite interesting things in a, in a writer's development when you see them you know when you see them trying on different sort of hats um sure. okay well we've kind of touched on this a little bit there about the idea of um voice and we've skirted around the the i word of of inspiration and i know this is a very obvious question and it's it's arguably quite a, a dull question but I'm, I'm hoping it might it might lead to somewhere so i'm thinking about inspiration and I, I guess we have some idea about if we go back to your musical career there are some very clear indicators about where the inspiration was come coming from thanks to james's book but i, I wonder about in terms of your literary lives about who the writers were uh, if we think about mr wood maybe who who he was exposing you to and maybe who along the path since then has influenced you as writers maybe start james do you want to say something about that um yeah so so if you go if you go back to um again everything goes in sort of cycles of fashion and if you go back to, to someone like mr wood uh site uh, and it was very fashionable at the time to um uh, lawrence was huge you know i mean he's completely out of favor now so at that time i think you know when i was that sort of age when we, we were exposed to, to, to those to those ideas um my favorite writers were probably uh orwell uh, Virginia Woolf and, and Lawrence because that was sort of what we've been fed but also we were readers anyway and there was a whole bunch of stuff that that, that was on our dad's shelves you know also what was quite we're talking about reading as much fiction I, I would say I would broaden that and say read non-fiction read poetry read drama you know the really best I think the best novelists have, have, have just read everything um so uh so there's the school stuff, and then there was a sort of um, fallow period in the 90s when there weren't that many. I mean, there were people like Nick Hornby coming through, um, and he's 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 such an underrated writer now. He's he's, he's out, again he's out of fashion, but what he does with voice is so incredible because he's he doesn't always go for the gag. You know, he knows he's got gags. Uh, he knows he's got bankable jokes galore, but he just doesn't doesn't always go for it so there was the guys like that who 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 were big and sort of forgotten people like james hawes do you remember him um no uh he wrote what did he write you a white merc with fins yeah yes i've read that there we go <laughs> yeah I, I enjoyed a couple of pieces so that but then what what um what was around at that point was 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 an awareness of the american guys and they were guys the big the big three updike roth and bella and i'll hand over mm. to jude, jude here for that um because that was about the time that 
that you started on Byron Easy, wasn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I t- it took a while to get through to to get to the big three, as it were. I think the big three, yeah. I mean, it's it's it took a while to get to the big three for me, anyway, because what happened you know, in the early nineties was that you had um, you know these writers like Irving Welsh and Hanif Qureshi who who came through who were dangerous, you know, and it, they sort of grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and said you can write about anything you can write about drugs or sex you can you know and um they they were the sort of uh you know the voice of our generation as it were you know you hear now about sally rooney being the voice of the millennial generation but and i admire sally rooney as a writer i think she's great she might be being pushed too far too too soon as zadie smith was but i think looking back to you know, the writers in, in the 90s, they were, you know, Jeanette uh, Winston as well, people who were sort of much more sort of risk-taking and on the edge. Um, and they were very inspiring for me, you know, um, especially The Buddha of Suburbia by, by, by Hanif Qureshi. I mean, that really, I mean, that was really inspirational for the band as well, you know, in, in terms of coming to London and, and seeing that, you know our attitude after five years in London was this is this is too hard you know we're never going to make it but there was such a buoyancy and and sort of cheekiness to that book that it really you know uh it it really sort of inspired us both of us I know to 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 go and um uh make the flamingos happen what about the the old Desert Island Discs question, you know, at the end you get a copy of the Bible and you can take another book with you. What do you think you would take, James? That's, that's really hard. <laughs> well, let, let me make it a little bit easier. Um, I'll allow you to throw God to the wind and you can discard the Bible over the side of the, the ship before you crash and grab another book. So you could take two. <laughs> that's made it even harder. Uh, <laughs> Actually, what I, I think because it's so it's too difficult to think back. I, I'm just going to have to think about what I've read recently that I've really loved. And okay. they're two books. And this again, this this opens up another uh, or continues our, our thing about voice. Uh, and they're they're both actually in line for the booker. They're on the long list. Uh, one is Night Boat Tangier by Kevin Barry. Okay, who's a fantastic uh, writer, Irish writer. Uh, and the other is Lanny by Max Porter. Um, and the books are very similar because they are almost all, I mean, they're plays for voices. They're, 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 it's dialogue. It's dialogue on the page. Uh, and you can tell both writers, you know, they, they've, both writers actually have read a lot of poetry. You can just tell that it just it's 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 obvious, and it and it makes all the difference to their writing, I think. Um, but I think it might, you know, you, you were saying, Paul, um, you know, thinking about where where to start. Uh, yeah. If you like dialogue, if you like if you like listening to people, you know, listening to two old guys in a pub talk or people talk at a bus stop these 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 are great books you know and these these are these are um you know if i had to grab something off the table that i'd read recently i i would go go for those those two books okay jude i'd, I'd probably take um <clears throat> vanity fair by thackeray because it's <laughs> it's very long and it's very funny as well <laughs> <laughs> island for quite a 
quite a while. Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. That makes that makes perfect sense. I, I think I, I don't know. I, th- I think I might take the the book that I think had the biggest impact on me was probably Salinger's Catching the Rye, which I know is very much you know oh eight nine eight dial a cliche, but I can remember very clearly being in secondary school and doing what you guys would call an A-level, and it was a a higher up here. And the book that was chosen by the teacher was something that I didn't want to read. It may may have been Thomas Hardy, and I I couldn't, I just couldn't get to grips with Thomas Hardy. And so I kicked up a stink and said, well, I I want to do a different book. And so I was allowed to go off and do a book of my own. And so I chose Catching the Rye. There was something about the kind of hopelessness and the bleakness and the otherworldliness of that New York that Salinger paints so brilliantly in that book. And that archetypal angry young man you know hopeless romantic of a teenager that really had a massive impact on me i'm not i'm not entirely sure that i ever really got over that or or the secret diary of adrian mole mm-hmm. yeah so I mean, I'm, I'm very sorry to have taken it so lowbrow <laughs> it's not lowbrow at all i mean i think you know the stalinger is is just that's a purely voice driven novel as well yeah um and you can just sort of live in that voice yeah you know? The attitude, but you said also something interesting there, Paul, about the um, about New York, and I think we haven't touched on that yet, which is the texture of a place. Do, do yeah. you want to say something about about that in fiction? Well, how do you create that? How you how you go about? Yeah, I mean, you've got well, the texture to, to a scene, you know. Well, I mean, a sense of place is you know so important, and I think you know most most of the the big writers have their have their locations like hardy has you know this sort of fictional wessex philip roth has newark in new york you know zadie smith has um <clears throat> yeah N- nw it's not nwa is it nw6 <laughs> kilburn um in in her books and you kind of stake your territory so i'm i'm hoping paul if you when you write your novel you know it'll be set up in paisley is that correct well, I, I live in Edinburgh, um, but I was, yeah, I was living in Paisley at that kind of, during that era, yeah. We'll maybe talk about, off the record, about uh, <laughs> some of where mine's is going to be set, but yeah, okay. But that's, I mean, do you feel, do you feel sort of, you know, confident writing about Edinburgh and Paisley because that's, that's a unique to your experience? And... Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I certainly know that I don't want to write something that is dishonest and so you know the, the places that I know best are definitely places that already are in my head you know I can I can see certain venues places roads you know where where things would happen or will happen in the book um, and yeah it, it certainly won't be set in I don't know uh, Naples yeah or Hampstead or, or Hampstead, much as I love it, but no, it won't be said there. Just interested, but to, I wanted to spin back to what you were saying about when you were at school. Did, did you did you have a sort of Mr. Woods, Paul? Was there someone who made it all seem exciting, and or was it just a, a turn off? No, there, there were two people, James. There were two two English teachers for for quite different reasons, actually. So in my very first year of high school, we had a, 
English teacher called Dave Ewing. And Dave Ewing looked a bit like Bruce Springsteen, right? He had sort of black Levi's, desert boots, white shirt, which was dangerously, you know, buttoned dangerously or unbuttoned dangerously low, um, a, a crop of black hair. And after a few months, he sort of disappeared. He left school and nothing was said about him. And then at the start of our second year, he reappeared and he stood up in front of the class and he said, OK, no doubt some of you have been wondering where I've been. And I'm going to tell you now, my wife died. Uh, my wife died of cancer and I've been away to, to deal with that and take some time. I've gone and travelled. And but and he just unloaded the whole thing and was completely honest. And I remember very clearly in that moment thinking, I never wanted to be anything other than exactly like him, to be completely honest with people. You mm-hmm. know, So there was no potential for people to misinterpret or for gossip to attach itself to me. I thought that was great. So that was inspirational for a, a different reason. And then we had this teacher called Mr. Gillespie later on in school um, who had this magnificent sort of handlebar moustache and a shock of white hair, you know, that kind of cascaded over his shoulders. He, he was a terrific sort of eccentric. He took us to see... Um, the, the great Scottish concrete poet Edwin Morgan gave a reading in a, in a local library. And that was another very sort of life changing experience to sit with a, I mean, a genuine master, you know, somebody who is revered and to hear him reciting some of these poems that on the page you can barely make out, you know, where the vowels stop and the consonants start. Um, so the, the two of them would be the big influences on me from school days, certainly. Yeah, no, that, that's great because I mean, there's just just this there's just been a lot in the in the papers recently about people, you know, going moving away from English. You know, the A level numbers have dropped, and 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 people are just saying it's boring. Oh, why do we want to sit there and be bored by Shakespeare and Dickens? And it's that's quite sort of um, depressing, really. You know, you do, you do need a. I think you do need a guy or or, or a woman to 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 you know just to. To make it to make it live, you know, because you've got you've got uh, texts that aren't going to be immediately comprehensible or attractive to a to a to a 15 year old, 14 year old, you know. Well, that I think comes back to. We're taking a, a slight tangent here, but th- I think that comes back to the notion that what you need really is teachers who are passionate about it. You know, that that that's the thing that makes all the difference, right? Um, if you've got people who are in the classroom who are there because they want seven weeks summer holiday. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I work in education. I, I, I teach in a Scottish secondary school and there are lots and lots of very, very good people in teaching, but there are lots and lots of different reasons why they're there. And I think passion for subject is, is the most important thing. So, you know, you can sit in a classroom with one teacher who will take you through Macbeth and it will have absolutely zero resonance with the, the kids in the room. And you can sit with another teacher in exactly the same school with the same children and their experience will be entirely different. Um, so I think that's that's crucial is having well, we're back to inspiration yeah, yeah. again. Right. We're ha- having inspirational voices and praise as well. Uh, Mr. Wood, he was a very progressive teacher and he was doing a sort of social experiment where he would praise everyone sort of ridiculously, really. And, and you think. Really, but he he, he was sincere <laughs> about it. Really, I mean, he was really like people. I think because the thing with school, that was it. You know, you're always told that you're not as good as you think you are at school. You know, and exactly. 
would sort of overpraise, you know. Yeah, I'll just say just just quickly, he 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 wants um at the end of my King Lear essay, <laughs> the, the the maximum mark, and there was nothing else but the work of a future writer. Uh, oh wow! And that was like 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 kerosene in, 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 into a bin fire, you know. I mean, it was don't say that. To, to, to someone, <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, but now looking back, it was like, yeah, there was some spin there. He was just trying to be use as much hyperbole as he could to sort of see where it would take you, you know. But also, if you got it wrong, then he would go to town on you oh, as God, well. Yeah. And he did later. He do he did. I always remember his bad review of of the novel he got us to write, which was this awful occult thriller that that actually makes it into memory songs called fear of the goat that's right inspired by um who wrote, who wrote the rats and all those rats and james herbert herbert yeah it was very inspired by james herbert and peter benchley who wrote jaws um and it was terrible it was this terrible sort of satanic magic thriller set in the channel islands because we'd been there on holiday you know, and um, and he went to town on it. And, and really, I remember every word of his terrible, you know, uh, review, I should call it. Um, <laughs> and, and I never tried tried to write in that genre ever again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, tell you, well, I tell you what I like about that story, Jude, is this idea that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will be similar. I read a lot of James Herbert when I was around about that age as well for two reasons. One, I liked the idea that I was reading something scary and spooky. But two, Herbert always had at least one chapter that was just a really filthy or depraved sex scene in it. That's right. Yeah, you you try and look for those. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they were easy to find in the school library copies. You know, they were well worn. Those chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember just to, uh, probably to to, to um, you can cut this if you want, but he he was um, uh, he was very he could be very sharp, yeah, and I think that, that the mix of that could, w- w- was good. I remember once writing in a, in an essay about the Tempest, uh, saying something. This was this was Shakespeare's last play, and who knows what he would have achieved if he would, if he if he had lived and had gone on to write more. You know, I think I've been reading a lot of Kerrang reviews. You know, the, 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 <laughs> that sort of thing about about you know um john bonham and then there was just this little note on the essay don't patronize genius <laughs> <laughs> i've never forgotten that you know uh oh yeah. I, you know I, I would really like it now i mean obviously you, you two are both very very busy but if one of you could now every time i post some kind of article about somebody you know who's incredibly talented if you could just tweet don't patronize genius that would be that would be terrific <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, so listen, I've got one one final question um, uh, for you, and that is, there's a difference, I think, between having a story and then being able to write a story, but I don't know what the difference is. So two things there. Am I right? Is there a difference? And if there is a difference, what is it? Jude, you go first. Yeah, I think I think that's very, very, you've got to have the story first. You've got to have something to say, you know, and uh, everything else can be can be learnt you know the technical component component of writing you know in terms of plotting and developing character and everything uh you 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 can learn that um but the 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 essential thing is that you have to have a unique story sometimes only ever have one story you know they keep on telling it in different modes in different books 
again and again but it doesn't seem to match if that story is 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 vital and alive enough to begin with and also connected with that one story uh or necessary thing you have to say is voice and i think they're almost indivisible you know the the voice needs to sort of carry that story but but the technical thing as you know can be can be learned and so that shouldn't be too daunting and you find like with any job you know you find out by by doing it by actual experience of it and the thing with writing and i feel this every day when i go to the desk at whenever it is uh in the morning i feel this doesn't get any easier this should be easier after a four or five novels uh but it's it doesn't the blank page is always daunting you know and you think well i did this yesterday but i just no idea how to do it again today so you know once you know that and i think you get more experienced as a as a writer or an artist you learn not to panic in those those situations situations you learn to go away and put it aside and come back and re-read what you've you know already written and do so a lot of thinking off the page rather than just trying to you know be a, t- a technical genius yeah just i think that that was um you know i don't really like writing tips and twitter is full of them and they're, they're really <laughs> irritating but there are a few i mean henry miller not a writer you really hear about now but his his writing tips are good and he, he just he you know, jude echoed one of his tips which was to write uh with joy you know with enthusiasm but write calmly just cement a little each day and that was his thing he's got to balance those two 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 elements but um to, to just to go back to what you said paul about the story you can have the best story in the world uh, but you have to be able to tell it it's just finding out how you you can you know you might have to try many different ways of telling the story but if there's something um as jude said you know that that's sort of that that has to has to come out um i can't remember the last book i felt that about it's probably grief is the thing with feathers which is another max porter's first book and you just knew it was his first book it just it was like a first album it had to come out thank you uh james and jude i'm very grateful for your your time and for your advice and uh yeah looking forward to uh whatever comes next from both of you. So thank you both very much. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, and good luck with the book. So huge thanks to James and Jude Cook for giving up their time to speak to me about the process of writing. And I think it only fitting that we end this episode by listening to the single which I declared the greatest of the Britpop era. It was, of course, James and Jude's very own Disappointed. (laughs) 